Thanks for joining us on the Authentic Church Podcast. Let's jump right into this week's message. And over the last few weeks, we have been in what I believe is an incredible series titled Flipping Tables, okay? And the vision behind this series is to teach you that Jesus did not come to make your life comfortable, but instead he came to take you out of your comfort zone, right? So look to the person next to you and tell them, Jesus did not come to make you comfortable. It's time to step out. It's time to do something a little bit different. Y'all don't have to repeat me on that one. That's okay. I can, I can hear y'all repeating still, right? Because when I look at the scriptures, I see that there were times that Jesus showed up and he flipped over tables. There's actually a story where Jesus even made a whip to drive out the enemy. And so because of that, I almost titled this message, Get the Whip. But then I thought that might get awkward. So <laughs> I decided to title it, Cleanse the Temple Instead. The message today is titled, Cleanse the Temple. But before I dive into the text, I want to ask you a a fun question. I want you to think about this. How many times did Jesus flip the tables at the temple? Think about it. How many times did Jesus go to the temple and flip the tables? Because I believe a lot of us would say one time. But according to all the gospels, he actually did this twice, okay? And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it records Jesus flipping tables at the temple at the end of his ministry. But in the gospel of John, it records Jesus flipping over the tables at the beginning of his ministry. And there's actually added details so that we know that it's not the same story. It's different from the other gospels. So as I was looking at the text and I started to think about this, okay, so Jesus came to the temple. And he flipped over the tables at the beginning of his ministry, but he also came again towards the end of his ministry and he flipped over these tables. And I knew that that was important. I knew that there was a revelation to be learned from this. So I asked the Lord, I said, God, why did Jesus do this twice? Why did he flip tables at the beginning? Why did he flip tables at the end? Here's what the Lord revealed to me. Sometimes what Jesus has cleansed in your life from the beginning can find its way back in true and scary. And some of us know exactly what that's like. The moment you ran to Jesus, you were freed of many demons, many addictions that were in your life, the problems and the struggles that you went through. And maybe you said, hallelujah, I thank you, God, that I met you today. I'm changed and I'm a new person. But what happened over the next few years Maybe you became comfortable in your relationship with Jesus, and all of a sudden, those demons that Jesus kicked out start knocking at your door again. And you start opening up that door again for the enemy to come into your life. So God was warning me and warning all of us that sometimes what Jesus has cleansed in your life from the beginning can come back over time if you allow it. So make sure to cleanse the temple. Let's go ahead and read out of John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, and then I'm going to break it down for you. Here's what it states. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem and the temple area where he saw the merchants. Now they were selling cattle and sheep and doves for sacrifices. And he also saw dealers at the tables exchanging foreign money. So Jesus made a whip from ropes. I want you to underline that. Jesus, Jesus actually took the time to make a whip out of the ropes and he chased them all out of the temple. I want you to imagine this. This is happening. Jesus showed up. What's he doing? He's he's got the whip out. He's he's taking people out of this temple right now. He drove out the sheep and the cattle. He scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor. 
and turned over their tables. And I believe that when we read stories like this, sometimes we ask the question, well, this doesn't sound like the Jesus I know, right? This, does, this sounds a little bit different from the Jesus I know. He's flipping over tables and he's creating a whip. So I want to ask you another question. Did Jesus do this out of rage? Did Jesus act out of rage? Did he lose his cool, grab the first thing that he saw and just drove the people out? Did he lose sight of what was going on and just attack the people? The answer to that question is no. Jesus did not act out of rage. And I'm making that very clear because people have taken this story and they have twisted the truth to justify attacking other people or abusing other people in the name of Jesus. That is not what Jesus was doing. First of all, he did not lose his cool again. He took the time to make a whip. He didn't just grab the first thing that he saw and started flipping over tables and using it against the people. No, we took the time. And I want you to imagine the disciples looking at Jesus over there in the corner like, oh, he's making something. What's he making today? I bet it's going to be good. I bet it's going to be so helpful. And Jesus over there in the corner like, yeah, you're about to find out what I'm making. Everybody's about to see in this temple what I'm making today. Any of you grow up with grandparents that had a method of discipline that required you finding the stick that you were about to be beaten with? Like if you were acting up all day, grandma gives you that look and says, go ahead and find me a stick outside. Why do you want a stick, grandma? You better find out, right? It's not an act of rage, but Jesus did this as a sign of authority. I need you to understand that. It was not out of an act of rage. It was a sign of authority over the corrupt religious leaders that needed a whooping. I'll be honest. But most commentators would agree that Jesus did not hit the merchants with a whip, but instead he used it only to drive out the animals. But let's continue the story. John chapter 2, 16 and 17. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. A robber's den. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion of God's house will consume me. And this prophecy is out of Psalm chapter 69, verse 9, dealing with King David, who wanted to build and protect the temple of God. But I'm a visual learner, so I want to go ahead and show you the temple on the, the screen behind me. Okay, and I want you to see that it was actually separated in different parts, and there were different courts according to the temple. Now, this is the second temple that was built after the exile from Babylon and was also helped built by King Herod at the time, okay? But as you can see from the picture, you're going to see a section of the holy place, which is number one, and then you're also going to see the priest of the courtyard, which is number three. You have the priest, or you have the Israelites, the courtyard of the Israelites, which is number four. Then around the nine area, that is the court of the women, because the women were separated from the men. But if you notice now, on the outside of the temple, but still within the gate, the main gate, you're going to see the courtyard of the Gentiles. That's where everybody was setting up shop. That's where everybody was selling these things and these sacrifices, and that's actually where Jesus was going to flip tables, because why was this even allowed? We see throughout Scripture that Pharisees normally did not allow the Gentiles to come close to them. They didn't want to talk to them, so why was this allowed? Because God said so. I love that. God actually prophesied this from the prophet Isaiah, that this would become a house that people would travel to from all nations to worship God. And so they had to allow it because God said so. He would not allow the corrupt religious leaders to stop people from coming into the presence of God. You want to make Jesus mad? Then allow the spirit of religion to stop people from the presence of God. He will always flip tables and barriers to bring you near every time. 
But here's Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7 and 8. It says, I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem. I will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, for the sovereign Lord who brings back, I love this, the outcast of Israel. He brings back the outcast of Israel. I will bring others too, though, besides my people of Israel. I love that very long ago, God made it clear that he was for the outcast that he was for those that were rejected by the culture, rejected by society. And he's not only talking about his people of Israel, he's talking about people who rejected all over the world, that they can find the truth in the presence of God. Meaning it doesn't matter where you come from or where you've been. A lot of people don't understand this but or have seen this out of the Bible, but even Abraham comes from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. What does that mean? It means that his family worshiped pagan idols. And God brought Abraham from that life, redeemed him, restored him, and showed him who the one true God was. And because of that, his whole family history, his whole family generation started to change completely. The children that came after him started to believe in the one true Lord. Why? Because God showed up and showed him the truth in that moment. It doesn't matter where you come from or where you have been or what you have been taught when you were young. God can change you today and show you the truth that would change the generations to come after you which means you can break generational curses out of your family. Addictions and bondages and divorce and these things that you've seen over and over and over again, you can run to Jesus and be a change at that moment. This was the prophecy that was spoken. All those who are rejected can come in the presence of God. But I wish it stopped there because the prophecy did not stop there. It continued. And there's also a warning from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 10 and 11 For the leaders, though, of my people, the Lord's watchmen, his shepherds, are blind and ignorant. Verse 11, like greedy dogs, they are never satisfied. They are ignorant shepherds, all following their own path, their own intent, and own personal gain. The religious leaders were called to protect the house of God, to watch over it, but instead they turned it into a flea market for suckers. That's what they were doing in the court of Gentiles. They were bringing people in because guess what? According to the law of Moses, they would come to the temple at the time of Passover to make sacrifices to the Lord. But so many of them traveled from far distances, so they were not able to bring the sacrifices with them. And if you remember what I said in the very first sermon, they sometimes allowed these sacrifices to be worth 20 times more expensive what they were actually worth or bought in other places. They were robbing the people. How many people were coming to the temple? The last two sermons, I told you a lot of people. Well, how many people? According to the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus, there were around 2 million Jews who would travel to the temple at the time of Passover every single time. So guess what the priests said? They said, let's set up shop. Let's set up shop. And for the first time, I see out of the scriptures that they're okay with the Gentiles coming to the temple because this involved them getting money. That's where their hearts were. They weren't there for the people to experience God. They wanted people to see them and how holy they were, but they also wanted the money for themselves so they can keep up with the things that they had and look better than everybody else. 
And so people were traveling again from far off, and they were taking advantage of having to buy these sacrifices at the temple because they were not able to bring them on the journey. They made bank because of their spirit of greed. So let me ask you this question. Do you know anybody that's consumed by a spirit of greed? Have you ever met somebody that is just completely consumed by greed? It's all they think about. It's all they care about. Every single morning they wake up because that's our culture today, right? Grind, grind, grind. Keep making money. Keep making more money. Sleep is for the week. Listen, again and again, I'll say this. You need sleep. You need rest. Otherwise, you're going to die. And that money won't matter. When you get to your deathbed, you're never going to say, hey, I'd love to see a picture of my house. (laughs) One more time before I go to heaven. Can I just see one more picture of my house? Can I see one more picture of my car? Oh, such a lovely car. You're not going to say these things. You're going to ask for the people that love you. You're going to want them by your side. You're going to want to be right with God because you are about to meet your maker. But listen, here's what's dangerous about a spirit of greed. There's never enough. Consumes your mind consumes your heart. There's never enough. I got to get more. Even when I reach this goal, I got another goal and it's exhausting and you keep moving and keep moving and keep moving. The spirit of greed will devour everything, including the person it controls until you die. There is nothing good about a spirit of greed. Let me show you the warning here in first Timothy chapter six, verse 10 for the love of money. And also let me make that clear. This is not talking about having money. You can have a lot of money and still put God first. This is talking about the love of money, the worship of money. This consumes you. Then it becomes a root of all kinds of evil in your life. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith because they crave money more than they crave God. And sometimes we look at those people and we're like, how dare they? Right? Right? We've been there. Come on, let's be real. (laughs) But at the same time, I realize we come into the house of the Lord and we crave blessings too, besides God's presence. Sometimes we crave miracles instead of the presence of the Lord. Sometimes we crave these healings and we get the healing. And trust me, I've seen people get healed, praise Jesus, and then walk away from Jesus and never come back until they need something different, until they need something more in their life. And so we do the same thing in many different areas of our life, but this is still a a spirit of greed, wanting more, wanting these things for ourselves, but not truly wanting the maker who can set us free and bring healing into our life. And so people wonder from the true faith, are they blessed? Are they good? Look at the next verse. And they pierce themselves with many sorrows. Why? Because more people love money than their own marriage or their own family. And it consumes life. And I've seen that some of the people that have the most money in the world can also become the most depressed. Because their goals, their priorities are out of order. And so I'm looking at this text and I'm saying to myself, what chaos Like, this is the house of the Lord, and this was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, that people would travel to the temple to be able to worship God, that even the Gentiles would be able to come into the presence of the Lord, right, and worship his holy name. But not only were they paying for these sacrifices, listen, according to the law of Moses, they also had to pay a temple tax, which was about two days wages, by the way. And by the way, they wouldn't take your foreign money either. It had to be approved by the priests, what you gave to the temple. So... There are money exchanging tables that you would go to and pay to exchange your foreign money for the money that was acceptable to the priest. 
over and over again. This was what they set up. And so as I looked at the text, I realized people traveled to be near to God, but could not get near. Why? Here's a revelation. Okay. Listen, because what wasn't supposed to be in the temple was blocking them from the presence of God. Hear me out. What wasn't supposed to be in the temple in the first place was actually blocking them from the presence of God until Jesus brought out the whip of authority. And I love that. So there's a lot to apply to your life from the story, and I want to teach you two revelations today. So let's go ahead and dive in. Point number one is this. Take care of the temple. God has called you to take care of the temple, but I'm going to show you something interesting with this, okay? So let's continue the story first. John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. They didn't care about no miraculous sign. How many times did Jesus do miraculous things before them? And every time he performed a healing, they get excited. They praise the Lord. They got more upset. And the sad reality is this, and I said this last week, that some people will get more upset about the healing that's happening in your life because they can become jealous or they want it for their own life or they don't understand what God is doing for you. And they look at your life saying, I know where you've been. God can't use you. No, God can use you today. He can change everything about you right now. So they said, show us a miraculous sign. Prove it. They didn't know what they were asking for because Jesus replied, all right, destroy the temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. What they exclaimed, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you can rebuild it in three days. But when Jesus said this temple, he meant what? He meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. But here's what's shocking. And at the same time, it's really cool. Very early on in the ministry of Jesus, he understood that the religious leaders, the Pharisees had one mission from the very beginning. And that mission was to destroy his body. That mission was to destroy the temple of God. Because isn't it ironic that they laughed at him for this? That they made fun of him because of this, yet they would become the ones that would actually destroy the temple, putting his body on the cross? The irony, because the people never forgot these words. Even when he was on the cross, they made fun of him for this. Matthew chapter 27, verse 40. They said, look at you now. They yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple, right? Rebuild it in three days. Well, then if you are the son of God, then save yourself and come down from that cross. I imagine Jesus was thinking, okay, you're going to see. Next couple of days, you're going to see me rise from the dead. But here's some encouragement because I get it. I've been there too, where the Lord has spoken something over your life. And you tell somebody, hoping that they will be excited about everything God is about to do, and they just shut it down. And they make you feel crazy. Or they say, that's never going to happen for you. You're never going to be blessed in such a way. God can never do that through you. You don't have the talents. You don't have the ability. There's no way this can happen for you. But this right here, you know what this proves? That the same people that will attack what you speak in faith can also become the same people to help fulfill it. Let me say that again. The same people that will attack what you speak in faith can also become the same people to help fulfill it without even knowing it. 
because the Pharisees were speaking this trash against Jesus, but because of what they spoke, because of the actions that they took, they led to the fulfillment of what Jesus just spoke. In this very moment, meaning let your enemies talk. Let them talk. Let them condemn you. Let them say things online. Let God handle them so that you can be free and walk by faith instead. Because guess what? The enemy will try to get inside of your head and tell you that you need to say something to them. But the Holy Spirit will say, shh, that's the wrong battle. Listen, you're meant to fight the devil. You're meant to fight the enemy and fight your own flesh. But you're not meant to fight them. That is the wrong battle. It's a distraction of where I called you and what I have for your life. So in those moments, shh, and let the Lord speak. And it will always be better when the Lord speaks, okay? But looking at the text, Jesus said, listen, destroy the temple. I'll raise up in three days. He's talking about his body. And then we see the same language throughout the New Testament when it comes to our body. When it comes to our body being a temple of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Because Jesus said, listen, as soon as we run to Jesus, we are saved from our sins. And God does something incredible. Jesus told the disciples, the helper, the comforter will come to you and he will be able to comfort you through your trials. Now, pastor, you just said Jesus came to not make me comfortable. No, life won't be comfortable. But through your pain, through your struggles, through everything that you're facing, he will bring you comfort to get through it to get on the other side, to reach that blessing. Because if not, many of us would be distracted or tempted to run away instead. So according to the word of God, your body is actually a temple of the living spirit inside of you, the Holy Spirit living inside of you. One example, Ephesians chapter two, verse 19 through 22. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family together. We are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him. We're joined together as the body of Christ. All together because of Jesus. But even individually, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of the dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Hallelujah. Some of us already know this. So here's what the Lord told me. Just like the Pharisees wanted to destroy the body of Jesus, the devil wants to destroy your body today. Why? Because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have a purpose from God, and the enemy will do whatever he can to stop that purpose. And here's a saddening truth. Many of us give him permission to do so. We give the enemy permission to do so almost every single day. And some of us will say, Pastor, I would never do that. I would never allow that type of attack in my life. There's no way that I would allow the enemy to do that to me. So what are you talking about? Well, the Bible makes it very clear. There are many open doors. For example, drunkenness seven days a week. Drunkenness every single night. You have headaches, you have hangovers every morning, but it gets to the point where it doesn't matter anymore. Why? Because you've checked out. 
You've checked out of your relationship and your marriage with your family, with your friends. You've checked out of everything. And maybe you're saying, but pastor, I just want to drink at night just to wind down, relax. So let me make it very clear. We know out of the Bible that Jesus and the disciples also drank wine. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about alcohol abuse. I'm talking about abusing alcohol. I'm talking about you can't live without it. You can't breathe without it. Every single morning you wake up, even with a headache, you say, I need another drink. And it consumes us. And I see too many believers come into the house of God. Praise God. They go right back home to a spirit of depression that has chained them up. When the Lord is saying, come to me, run to me, and I'll heal you. There are many warnings out of the Bible when it comes to this. For example, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29 through 32. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine, do not gaze at it when it is red, when it goes down smoothly because it's tempting every time you see it. But in the end, guess what? It bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. And the proverb continues, but I want you to see the very last line here in verse 35. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? After all this, just so I can find another drink to waste away and give my feelings over to something else that will numb me. Listen, you can search your whole life for comfort in things that will never give you comfort back. You could also search your whole life for things to love you that will never give you love back because we're looking in the wrong things. There are moments of pleasure in this world, but the only one that can satisfy is Jesus. And as I was looking at this message this morning, I felt a heaviness to share this story. When I was around nine to maybe 10 years old, I remember our family getting a call at the house and immediately I saw my mother's face change she was scared and she was shocked, almost in tears and afraid. I saw my dad also panic as well. And we had to run to the car because we found out that my brother was in a horrific car accident. And the man on the phone would not tell us any details. He wouldn't tell us what happened, whose fault it was, if he was okay, if he was alive. He just said, come here now. And so I remember being a young kid in the, the car, driving to this area and there's just being ambulances all over the scene. And my parents had to go check to see if he was alive, if he was okay. There were two cars that were completely totaled. And I remember standing with a police officer there, just watching, waiting, and wondering what happened to my brother. And when my parents came back, devastated and heartbroken, they found out that there were three people involved in the car accident, but only my brother survived. And my brother and his friend decided to drink, and his friend decided to drive to possibly go get more alcohol, and they were on a back road, a winding road, and as they were driving, they hit another car head on. That car ended up being a pastor who died that day, at that very moment. Not only that, but my brother's good friend at the time also died next to him, and his face hit the dashboard so hard, it shattered his face. And I remember seeing him in the hospital, and his mouth was just, um, I just know he couldn't move it. I was young, but he had all these things around his face, and he couldn't move it. 
He only had a, he could only drink out of a straw, and they had to reconstruct his face because of this choice. And I've seen people, and I'm very open about this with the relationship with my brother, I'm very open about family things. I've seen people set free from these addictions, but I've also seen the enemy creep in your mind and tell you that this is as good as it will ever get. Keep going back to the same thing that already devastated you before. And some people are devastated by the drug that they keep going back to over and over and over and over again. So to this day, I still pray over my brother to be free from the life of being an alcoholic. It's a struggle. But the Bible was very clear. Listen, you can try to find comfort in worldly things, but they can bring disaster into your life. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. It can hurt you. It can devastate you. It can cause situations to happen that you can't take back, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. And maybe you don't relate to that. Maybe you're saying, Pastor, well, I, I don't do that, and I'm okay in that area, but still, there's other doors too. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20, states it like this, run from sexual sin, for no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Why does the scripture say it twice? To get your attention. To tell you that this is serious. That this will come to hurt and devastate not only your body, but your soul. And destroy who you are. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? And was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. That's from the Lord. Speaking to you, honor God with your body. Paul is saying sexual sin will come to destroy your body and your soul and the temple of God and rob you from what was meant to be a gift from the Lord with a marriage. It was meant to be a gift for you. And throughout scripture, we see the enemy just take what is of the Lord and, and twist it to pervert it to attack you, to attack your bodies. We see this throughout scripture that demons were always looking for a way in to do what? To attack somebody's body. Have you noticed the theme? The man with the legion of demons, guess what he was doing? He was howling and he was cutting himself. People today suffer with depression and anxiety and they believe the lie that cut, cutting themselves, harming themselves will make them feel better. It's demonic. It is a tactic of the enemy to destroy you and take away your life way too early. Mark chapter 5, verse 5, day and night, he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. One boy was even thrown into the fire and water by a demon. In Mark chapter 9, verse 18, and whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Verse 22, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. And what really hits me about this passage of scripture right here, this story, is that it was a father pleading with Jesus to heal his son. And maybe right now you're a parent in the room and you're praying the same prayer that God would heal your child, your son, your daughter. Maybe your child has spoken things like this, wanting to end their life too soon, to kill themselves. 
because they're not happy in this world because they're looking in the wrong places. And guess what? It, it, it's so important to understand because it was even one of the temptations of Jesus from the enemy in the wilderness. That's how big this subject is. Even Jesus himself was tempted in this way. Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, then jump off. Prove it. Why? Because the devil wanted him to harm his body before his purpose was fulfilled. The devil wanted him to harm his body to end his life before his purpose was fulfilled. So guess what? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and the devil comes after you to do the same thing. He wants you to cut your life short, never reaching the purpose that God has for you. How do we get there? How do we allow such a thing to happen in our life to that moment of depression? Because I believe it's deeper than just people making fun of you or saying things about you or just mocking you or condemning you. I feel like it's a lot of hardships in life to the point where we are so broken. And instead of running to God, we say things like this, I hate myself. You ever said that? I hate myself. I don't like who I am. Or maybe you've said something like this, I hate the way that I act. I'm such a failure in everything that I do. I can't stand the way I look. I can't stand my talents. Everything that I try to do just falls apart. Nobody likes me. Nobody wants to be around me. And you believe every single lie of the enemy, and that's how you live. This is your perspective in life, and that's how you live, feeling like nobody will ever listen to your voice. You say to yourself, maybe you've gotten to such a low point where you've actually said, I'm, I'm just, I'm disgusting, Lord, and I don't. I wish I was never born. And I'm, I'm speaking this because even in the Bible, godly men have said such things through the hardships that they didn't understand. And I think we've all had dangerous thoughts in the past because of hardships. Job said in Job chapter 10, verse 18, why then did you deliver me from my mother's womb? Why didn't you just let me die at birth? And the warning is very clear. It's all about indulgence. Indulgence can come to kill your body. And we can try to find comfort in many different ways. We can go towards comfort food too. And eat, eat, eat all of our problems away. But it's attacking the body. We can get drunk so we don't feel pain. We can go through sinful pleasures in the moment to have a good time in the moment, but yet it destroys our soul in the end. And all these habits are strategies of the enemy. I pray that you are released today by the blood of Jesus. And I pray that you understand this truth that will set you free. Listen, these things in your life do not control you. Listen, these things in your life do not control you. You're not controlled by these addictions in your life. How do we know? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, God is faithful and he will not allow any temptation to be more than you can stand. So when you are tempted, he will always show you a way out so that you can endure. Stop seeing yourself as a mistake. Stop seeing yourself as a mistake and start seeing yourself as a body, as a temple of the living God, the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That's what 
what starts to change everything. They don't control you. And I noticed this too with the weeping prophet, Jeremiah, who was going through so many hardships and trials. Listen what the Lord spoke to him. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, I knew you before I formed you in the mother's womb. I knew you before I formed you in the mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. You were not created as a mistake. How do I know? Because my God doesn't make mistakes. Which means you were not created as a mistake or an accident to be in this world today. God has you here for a reason and a purpose. He doesn't make mistakes. He is perfect in every way. And everything that he speaks and creates has a purpose to fulfill for the kingdom of God. And he spoke this to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. But I believe the Lord is speaking it to you today as well. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. So take care of the temple. Changes everything. I got one more revelation to show you in this message today that I have time for. My last point is this, drive out what doesn't belong. That's what Jesus did. Drive out what doesn't belong. The merchants did not belong in the temple. They belonged in a marketplace. So the Lord knew that. And when he came, he drove them out of that area so that the Gentiles and the people coming into the presence of God could pray for the first time and hear the Lord. The merchants didn't belong in the temple, so it's the same for our life. We've opened up all these doors to these demonic attacks, these addictions, these false comforts, the things that we want in the moment, the things that we feel like we need right now. If I don't have this, I'm not happy. We become consumed by so many other things, but distracted from the Spirit of God. And these things don't belong in your life. And they're in the way. And so here's a revelation from this story. Jesus can free you of your demons, but you can still hold on to the tables that need to be flipped. Jesus can free you of your demons. The moment you run to Jesus, he will free you of the bondage that is in your life. But let me ask you this question. Are there tables still in your life operating what is not of God? the things that need to be flipped over in your life. How do we overturn tables? How do we flip tables? Well, where's the battle? According to Paul, the battle was in your mind. What you believe about yourself, what you believe about the word of God, because what you believe directs how you live and the path of life that you take. And so how do we overturn tables? We overturn the lies of the enemy by forcing them to hear the truth of God's word. We don't do this enough. I promise you, it will set you free. If you spend time in his word and hear his voice when he speaks to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses three through five. We are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds. The strongholds in your mind, the lies that you believe for way too long. Some of you have grown up believing that you'll never be married because all you saw from your family was divorce after divorce after divorce after divorce. 
Some of you have grown up believing that you can't get away from abuse or verbal abuse because of how you talked in your house, how your family talked to each other. Some of you have grown up in poverty and you believe that you cannot succeed in anything, that you will be poor the rest of your life and not have the things that you need. You understand Jesus said, pray each day, God, give me today my daily bread. For the Lord provides what you need daily. And you may be struggling in that area right now and you're trying to prove to everybody else, I can make it. But that lie is still in the back of your head and it needs to be overturned. And that's how we take down, that's how we knock down strongholds. That's what Paul is saying of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture these rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ by his word. And you may hear thoughts, I'll never change. Yes, you can. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ can become a new creation, has become a new creation. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. Or I can't overcome my stress. Yes, you will. Matthew 11, verse 28. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. But my heart is too broken from the past. Relationships have fallen apart. I'm tired of going from one relationship to another. Could it be that you're looking for a person to heal your heart instead of God? For the Lord will come to heal your heart. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. Out of Isaiah 61 verse 1, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. Meaning you can be free from your past hurt and the heartbreak that you feel right now. And believe me, Jesus has no problem tormenting the demons that have tormented you for way too long. And that's why he brought out the whip. But here's what's beautiful. And this, is, this is, could almost be a third point, to be honest because I believe it's that powerful. But when you allow Jesus to drive out and overturn what doesn't need to be in your life, then emotional healing can begin. When Jesus cleanses the temple and drives out what doesn't belong in your life and takes a hold of these strongholds and brings the truth of God's word, then emotional healing can start to begin in your life because Jesus was able to heal when the temple was cleansed. Isn't that powerful? Let me show you. This happened at the end of Jesus' ministry. In the book of Matthew, chapter 21, 13 and 14, he's getting on to them about what they're doing in the temple. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Verse 14, what happened right after he cleansed the temple? The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them because the distractions were out of the way. The things that kept the people back from running to God were now out of the way. Jesus brought the whip of authority in the beginning and even at the end, he cleansed the temple one more time so the people can run to him and be healed of the heartbreak, of the disabilities that they had, the diseases that they had, the sickness that they had. He healed them. 
and they were able to come to Jesus and be healed because the wrong things got out of the way. And as I was ending this, this sermon, the Lord reminded me of the time that Authentic began in Louisiana. It's just an outreach. It wasn't a church plan at that time. But I'll never forget this one woman that came into our ministry in the beginning because she was lost and she was hurt and she was broken. But on the outside, you can tell, like, she was really good at covering up and pretending to be happy. But what just happened in her life was shocking and she was devastated. She was married for nine years and her husband decided one day he was just done and he left her. And I remember her telling us and she reminded me that she actually had prayer groups pray for him, pray for their marriage, pray that things would be restored. But the man not only ran away from her, he ran away from God just altogether. There was nothing she could do in that moment and so she felt like a failure. And all these fears started to consume her mind and she told me that she thought of thoughts like she would be alone forever. How would she be able to raise her daughter by herself? Could she make it as a single mother? How would she be able to pay her bills and get by? And she faced many demons to the point where she actually had the question, God, can you still use me at all? Because everybody knows my brokenness now. Everybody knows my story. Everybody knows that my marriage fell apart. Can God, can you use me now? I'm trying to do the right thing, but I can't force everybody else. She realized the only thing she could do was seek God. And I watched her come into Authentic, searching for the love of God. And remember what Jesus said, keep seeking and you will find. And we watched the Holy Spirit cleanse her of every lie that the enemy had put inside of her her head. And she said this, the love she felt from God, the love she felt from that ministry freed her of the rejection that she felt by others. That's freeing. The love she felt from God, the love she felt from the ministry of the truth of God's word set her free from the rejection of others. And remember, I told you, she asked the question, God, can you even use me today? Today, she is the author of 25 Christian fiction novels that can be bought even in Barnes and Noble or off of Amazon. But for the first time, she mentioned to my wife and I that she's writing about the true story of deliverance and healing. The novel is complete and will be released this January, where she actually talks about her encounter into Authentic and meeting my wife and I and the other people of the ministry. And the title of the book is Once Upon a Divorce, Walking with God After, because God was able to heal her and take care of her because she set her eyes on the Lord and not the lies of the enemy. And today she has a beautiful family, a wonderful, loving husband because Jesus cleansed out, cleaned out, and moved out what the enemy had planted in our life. And I say this to encourage you because you may feel like everything has fallen apart. Can I have you stand right here? I'm asking our prayer team to come up front, come up to this altar, because you may feel right now that everything is crashing down in your life. You may even feel like you're trying to do all the right things, but the people around you are just not listening to God. God, I'm listening to your voice. I'm I'm praying for these blessings. I'm I'm praying to be restored. But other people are walking away from me. What do I do? This is what will set you free. Run to Jesus. 
allow Christ to cleanse the temple, flip the lies of the enemy, and receive his healing today. That is available for you today. But you have to run to his altar, get the distractions out of the way, things that don't need to be there, get them out of the way. The doubts that you have, get them out of the way. The fears that you have, get them out of the way. The things that are pulling you back from God, from the healing, get them out of the way. Those voices in your head that says you can't forgive them. There's too much hate inside of your heart because of what they did. They hurt you. Get those voices out of the way. I rebuke those voices in the name of Jesus so that you can hear the true voice of God calling your name into his holy presence. For all nations will run to the house of prayer to cry out to the Lord and be healed. A cleansing is taking place today. Will you allow the cleansing to take place in your life? You have to receive it from the Lord. So right now I'm gonna... We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you've been blessed by this message, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss future messages. And if you feel led to give to this ministry, check out the link in the description and see the other ways you can get connected.